Welcome to Scuba Shack Radio, Episode 66, recorded Monday, August 30th, 2021. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Well, hello again, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to this latest episode of Scuba Shack Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Centropino. Wow, August 30th already. I guess when you are busy, time really does fly by. And it has been a busy summer on a number of fronts, both personally and at the dive shop. We have had a lot of people taking our Paddy Open Water Diver course And when coupled with our continuing education and trips to Dutch Springs, it's hard to find time. We are fortunate that our homeowners association takes care of all the outside lawn maintenance. It's nice to know that you don't have to find a time to cut the grass. We retired our lawn tractor and lawn mower about 10 years ago and never looked back. The team is scheduled to be back at Dutch Springs in a couple of weeks, and that could be our last trip. Stand by for the latest update during my wet note segment. If you've been following the show, you know that every third week I try to do something related to diving history. Well, this time, the history segment will take us back to Pearl Harbor when I review the book Dark, uh, Descent into Darkness by Commander Edward Raymer. So let's get started. <music> This is Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio for Monday, August 30th, 2021. Well, we have certainly had our fill of extreme weather lately. Just last week here in Connecticut, we faced the challenges of Tropical Storm Henri, just barely below hurricane strength, and at the last minute, it shifted east, and we avoided the brunt of the wind. Rhode Island wasn't as fortunate. And now we have Ida a Cat 4 hurricane that hit Louisiana. Extreme weather is now the norm. The news keeps getting worse. Recently, there was a study published by Nicholas Bars from the Potsdam Institute for Climate Impact Research, and that was that the Gulf Stream could be veering towards irreversible collapse. Now, the Gulf Stream is part of the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, or AMOC. This circulation takes warm, salty water from the tropics, moves it north, and then takes the cold water south. The study finds that the circulation is at its weakest in 1,000 years. So what happens if the Gulf Stream collapses? That will dictate extreme cold for parts of North America and Europe. Is the collapse imminent? Well, that's not an easy question to answer. It could be decades away, but as we have seen, things are happening a lot faster when it comes to climate change. 
Not only will the disruption of the Gulf Stream result in colder North American temperatures, it is predicted that there will be a rise in sea level, disruption of the monsoon patterns, and impacts on the Amazon rainforest and Antarctic ice sheets. The study concluded that, it is, that this is all a result of human-induced climate change. In May of this year, I talked about a project out on Lake Tahoe called Clean Up the Lake. That project had an ambitious goal of clearing over 72 miles of the mountain lake. So I thought I would give it a quick update on how the work is progressing. Now, these numbers come from the Clean Up the Lake website, cleanupthelake.org. As of earlier this month, the team of divers has removed an amazing 8,122 pounds of trash, or 3,684 kilograms, and covered about 22 miles, or 34 kilometers of coastline. Their update indicated that they have completed 74 dives over 27 days of diving. The divers consumed 286 cylinders of air. To date, there have been 81 volunteers who have delivered 2,611 volunteer hours. Now, I'm not sure if they're on pace to meet their objectives, but that's not always the measure of success. The amount of continuing effort is what really counts. Keep up the good work, guys. The annual Boston Sea Rovers Clinic for this year is just one month away. The 2020 clinic happened just a couple of weeks before the coronavirus, coronavirus lockdowns took effect. We really didn't know how serious things were then. Now, as we continue to emerge from the pandemic, the show may just have the dual distinction of being the last face-to-face -face scuba show in the world before the pandemic and the first face-to-face -face scuba show in the world post-pandemic. Monty and I were at the last meeting, and everything is proceeding for the October 1st and 2nd show. The show will follow state and local mandates, and as the days pass by, we are all hoping that the show will go off as planned. This year, the show has moved from the traditional March date to October as a result of the pandemic. It should be a great time to enjoy some early uh, fall weather in New England. It will be great to get together, and diving is certainly a social sport. Do you miss Dive Training Magazine? I sure do. I think I've reread re all the back issues we have at the shop at least three times. So what's happening with the publication? Well, I reached out to Catherine Castle Garcia, the editor, to find out the latest. Catherine informed me that they hope to be publishing again in the fourth quarter of 2021. Now that's some good news. The fourth quarter is not that far away, and I'm certainly looking forward to Dive Training Magazine hitting the streets. And finally, here on Wet Notes, I wanted to give you an update on the situation with Dutch Springs. If you remember, last time I reported that the property owned by Stu and Jill Schooley had been sold to Trammell Crow, a Texas developer who is planning to build a large warehouse facility on the property. The initial word was that Dutch would shut down after the season. Well, a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. First, there was a 
a petition that garnered over 3,000 supporters to keep the place open. And as we know, petitions can only go so far. Then there was support from PADI, the Professional Association of Diving Instructors. PADI did a white paper uh, outlining the economic benefits Dutch Springs provides as a diving venue. PADI estimates that because Dutch exists, it helps to generate $3.4 billion of annual retail sales in the Northeast. They tagged the economic benefit to Bethlehem at $34.5 million. As for tax revenue, the paper indicates that about $98.9 million is generated for states and local taxes in the Northeast, and about $2.1 million for Bethlehem. In addition to PADI support, the Lehigh Valley Planning Commission has called the proposal a disaster for the quality of life in the Lehigh Valley. While it seems that there is a great deal of opposition, there may be very little that can be done to stop the effort. One positive item that I did see was that Trammell Crow was in discussions with local officials to offload the 50-acre quarry for community use. Just how would you get to the quarry if they build the warehouses? I don't know. While the saga is far from over, I would expect that we won't see Dutch Springs open for the 2022 dive season. But as Al Michaels once said, do you believe in miracles? Well, that's it for this edition of Wet Notes here on Scuba Shack Radio for August 30th, 2021. December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. This is one of the most profound phrases ever uttered by a U.S. president. Franklin Roosevelt made this enduring statement when declaring war on Japan after the attack at Pearl Harbor. Our U.S. Pacific fleet lay in ruins after that fateful day, and it fell to a heroic group of Navy divers to get us back in action and provide closure for the many families who lost loved ones that day. One of these divers was Edward C. Raymer. Commander Raymer's book, Descent into Darkness, is a chronicle of the work he did along with his fellow divers at Pearl Harbor after the attack. Edward Raymer enlisted in the Navy in 1939 with the hopes of being a naval aviator. Back then, the Navy didn't have enlisted pilots. Not sure when the requirement to be an officer came about. But in any event, Edward wasn't able to get into the aviation program, so while stationed in San Diego at the Destroyer Repair Unit, he and his friend Robert Moons Mullins decided to volunteer for the four-week second-class diving school. That was in May 1941. After diving school, he returned to the destroyer repair unit where they tried to practice their diving skills. Now, right after the attack on Pearl Harbor, the word went out that all divers were to report to the office and they were informed that they had two hours to pack and head out. Their destination was Pearl Harbor. 
Now, each chapter of the book outlines the specific diving and salvage efforts of each of the ships that Raymer and his team worked on. They started out on the USS Nevada, then proceeded to the USS Utah, followed by the famous USS Arizona, the USS California, the USS West Virginia, and the USS Oklahoma. You can see that this was a monumental effort of courage and stamina. Not only did Raymer and Mullins do all this diving at Pearl Harbor, they also saw action in the South Pacific when they were on temporary orders to the USS Seminole in August 1942. The Seminole was dispatched to the Solomon Islands, and those temporary orders lasted until April 1943. Now, I have read a lot of books about the Navy's fighting in the Solomon Islands and the losses of ships, but never have I read about it from the perspective of those who were tasked with salvage and rescue after the destruction. It's a great perspective. One of the things that is really interesting about this memoir is how the divers had to learn and develop procedures and protocols along the way. Early on, they had an issue with the welding torches, unburned gas collecting in areas, and then causing explosions. One of the divers came up with the idea of using an arc oxygen underwater cutting torch, something he had seen while working on a pipeline in Texas. And there are many more examples of things they had to that they had to learn while, while on the job. Very early in the book, Reimer uh, tells us about his accident while making an early dive on the USS Arizona. The Navy had visions of raising part of the Arizona, but they believed there was an unexploded torpedo in, in the hull. The divers were tasked with getting it out. Reimers did the first drive, dive, and about an hour into the dive, his air supply was cut off. Turns out, some yard workers had disconnected the compressor. The air was restored, and he was rescued by his shipmates, but badly shaken. After the dive, the Navy decided no additional diving would be done on the Arizona at that time, and attention would be given to the less damaged ships, like the California and the West Virginia. Now, those of us who have served in the military, we know that there are things that happen that are sometimes like a comedy show. For example, Edward tells us about how while they were deciding on what to do about the USS Arizona, one of the officers from the USS Utah got permission to use the divers on the Utah. His mission was to recover the ship's office safe that supposedly had over $3,000 in it. He would keep $2,000 and the rest would be split between the divers. While the estimate was off, and there was only $1,900 in the safe. The divers lost out. Now, there are other exploits of the divers not related to salvage that makes me think a little bit of the TV show MASH. First, the divers built a still in their dive shack. They somehow didn't quite know how to operate the device, and it exploded, covering their commanding officer in sour mash. Then there are the escapades with the locals. After salvaging alcohol from one of the ships, they proceeded to have various parties with the local ladies. The boys had a little fun after the difficult task of salvaging the battleships. 
Throughout the course of the book, Commander Raymer vividly recalls many of the triumphs and tragedies associated with the historic work that he and the members of the dive team performed at Pearl Harbor. Their work continued until final salvage operations were wrapped up and he and Moons left Hawaii for San Francisco on March 2, 1944. He recalls passing the burned-out hulk of the Arizona and rendering honors, then rounding Fort Island, passing the remains of the USS Utah. Now that brought back a lot of memories for me. Having served at Pearl Harbor, we routinely passed by the Arizona Memorial with the solemnity that it deserves, and the image of the whole of the USS Utah still is fresh in my mind's eye. Now, we have a deep and rich history in diving with many heroes who paved the way. If you want to learn more about one of those heroes, check out Descent into Darkness, Pearl Harbor, 1941, a Navy Diver's Memoir by Edward C. Raymer. It's really interesting to read about our diving history, along with the risks and innovations that took place back in the early days. I cannot even imagine the courage and stamina that it took to go into an overturned battleship and contend with the carnage inside, while in total darkness. Now those guys were tough. Well, as we close out 2021, I hope you've had a good summer and wish you well as we continue to battle the COVID crisis. Once again, I want to thank you for tuning into the show. Stay safe and take care, everyone. Scuba Shack Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in support of our mission to empower individuals with knowledge, ability, and experience to venture underwater in pursuit of their aspirations and to advocate for ocean health and sustainability. Talk to you next time. <laughs>